Hello and welcome to the Infertility Podcast. My name's Daniel. And I'm Candace. Grab a biscuit because we've got the tea on all things infertility. Hey guys, welcome to episode 7. Howdy, episode 7. 7. Let's talk about famous number sevens for Manchester United. Mm, I'm good. Okay. Just a couple? Nah. Okay. Oh, you know what we can talk about? Your nail salon that you're starting up. I'm not starting a nail salon. Guys, listen to this. Daniel has an online shopping... I wouldn't say it was an addiction. I would say it was a curiosity because he buys a lot of stupid things online. Not stupid. Can we... They're practical but they're unusual. They're practical for other people, like a nail salon. So I bought a nail grinder, like you would see in um, a nail shop. A nail shop. salon. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's fantastic. You can grind your nails right down to the quick. <laughs> and they look, I mean, they're pristine. Pristine. Daniel, you know what else does that? A nail file. No, no, no. Here's the issue of a nail file. The noise, one. And, and it, a nail grinder is better? I'm going to show you the differences between a nail file and a nail grinder. Here you go. Nail file. <laughs> nail grinder. <laughs> like, which one's more annoying? Be honest. You're such a dildo. Be honest, which one is more annoying? The first one. You're annoying. Yes. That's yes, what's annoying, actually. True. Um. Yeah, so Daniel said, oh, I bought this nail grinder and... I'm thinking he got something to grind our dog's nails. And I'm thinking, okay, well, good luck with that. And then he showed it to me, and I was like, yeah. It has done a terrific job, though. But you're not using it the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> Anything can be a hammer if you swing it, it hard enough, Candace. <laughs> Anything. Stupid. You can't see this is your problem. I'm You're so trapped in your Matrix-style world where everything has to be done for its own purpose. I'm like, nah, man. You you know what I mean? I'm going to grind my nails, and I don't care if there's a stigma with this. Uh, Oh, my God. I'm so... Going with it. I... I'm so over this right now. Anyway, as soon as you start using it, you're going to understand I'm and it'll be fine. I'm not ever going to use it because yes, it's for acrylic nails and I don't have acrylic nails. But it's worked terrifically on my nails. But oh, anyway, okay. it was $8. Just because something's $8 doesn't mean you have to buy it. How many times have you told me that? Well, That's like your motto. No, it is. That's it your is. slogan in life. But to be fair... It's a good deal. And it works. And maybe we'll put the link up and people can buy it. I'm like, we're not going to do that. Oh, my God. No. But it is terrific. No. Anyway. So let's move on to something else. I am anticipating my phone call with Dr. Vidali, the endometriosis. Remover. Remover. Extraordinaire. Who um, did my surgery a couple of, well, I guess it was a few weeks ago now. By the time this podcast airs, I will have already spoken with him. So you can check my Instagram if you want updates on that at Operation Baby Bump. And if you would like to get connected with other people, you can join the Infertility website. It is a great place to meet other people who are going through the specific things that you are going through. We have a forum that is itemized out into categories for infertility, for pregnancy and baby stuff. And also the new section for nails, where we will go over um, <laughs> no. the best way to grind no. a nail. <laughs> There's That's not. added. No, 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 oh, no. Man, no, you no. never take my Lord, ideas. no. So we're starting a series on major causes of infertility. Infertility looks different from person to person. And when someone has endometriosis and the person next to them has endometriosis, it could look really different. Also, there are other things like PCOS, low AMH, genetic things, unexplained infertility, stuff like that. And I have learned so much from the online presence and the infertile ladies that are on my Instagram that I follow because everyone's story is different. And I like to educate myself on what other people are going through. Yeah. So I thought this would be a cool series to do. So this will be the first episode in the series, and we will be talking about endometriosis. 
having a diagnosis finally after all these years is pretty weird. Yeah. I share this intimate thing with so many strangers and we're bound by this invisible illness and I never even knew that I had such a connection yeah. to these other people. Especially when you think about the amount of commercials that are on TV about endometriosis. Oh, I know. And I know. Like, you never think, oh, that's me. Right. right. No, I didn't. I didn't think it was me. Um, I I had suspicions, you know, of course, but when you have doctors telling you, no, you don't have that. Yeah. Then or you very say, dismissive of it. Right, exactly. So I will say that I'm very lucky because my symptoms are not as severe as other people. Yeah. When I think of endometriosis, I think of what my cousin went through, that agonizing, excruciating pain. Yeah. I thought it would be great to hear her side of the story, so let's listen. Okay, I am talking to my beautiful cousin, Elena, better known as Lina, or Elena Ray. <laughs> That's me. Yep. Um, she is a year older than me, so we are very close in age and have been great friends all of our lives, and she is also a twin. That's pretty cool. She has a yeah. twin brother. So what... How are you a twin again? Your mom's told me a little bit about this. So she was on, was it Clomid or some other fertility medication? Um, I believe she did take Clomid, but um, I mean, we do have a set of twins in her family and then a set of twins on my dad's side. So, okay, uh, that's pretty that cool. History. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And I think. I have asked her about this before, and she said that she wasn't actually on that medication when she got pregnant with you guys. Right. Yeah. Well, I think before my sister, she actually had a, a miscarriage, and then right. she had my sister, um, and then us. Yes. It's funny that Clomid's that has been being used for that long. You know, because you yeah. are 34, nearly 35. Yes. And if that was before Letitia, then that, how old's Tish? She's 30, she'll be, well, 38, yeah. 38. 38. So it's interesting to me that, that Clomid is still, and I mean, people are still being prescribed that. I mean, I was prescribed that at one point. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it it really is like the gateway fertility drug. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that's like the starting point, what they try at the very beginning and then go from there. Right, exactly. I just think it's interesting that after, let's say, 40 years, they're still using the same thing. I mean, I guess it's cool because it works, but it's interesting yeah. to me that no other drug has come on the scene that's a better option in 40 right. years. Exactly. You know? Like we should be a little more advanced. I think point. so. I really think so. But yes, I'm so excited that you're joining me on this podcast because, well, first of all, I think you're amazing. And I think your story is really important. So I'm glad you're joining me. So thank you. Well, thank you for having me. Yes. Um, ha do, have you ever heard of Fertility IQ? I haven't. Okay, so I have partnered with Fertility IQ. They are an amazing resource um, if you're in the market for a fertility doctor. You can go visit their website, fertilityiq.com. I've also featured them on the resource page of the Infertility website. So Fertility IQ is looking for people to review their fertility doctors this is because they are looking to create a database of reliable reviews. So it's really important that you're detailed in your description. Um, you can review your clinic, the cost, and more. And for each person that hears this and um, includes my name in their review, so it'll, be, it'll ask you, um, how you came to them, and you can put Candace, C-A-N-D-A-C-E. Fertility IQ will make a donation to Daniel and I for each review that we get. 
which I think is so nice of them to do. And I've actually reviewed one of my fertility doctors a while ago, and I need to still review a couple of my fertility doctors. But for each review, you get entered into their grant contests. So each review is an entry, which is pretty cool. That is really cool. Yeah, it's really cool. So, Lena, you could even go on there and review any fertility doctors that you've used. I sure will. I'll yeah. These reviews are anonymous, so feel free to be honest and open. What is important to you might be important to other people, like the demeanor of the doctor or the years of experience that they have. To me, when I reviewed my RE, it was important for me to note that he was more old school and that he was very, I would say, one-track minded. So he liked to do things one way. Um, I think that's really important for people to know when considering using my clinic and him in particular. I do need to review my current RE because we did switch. She's really open-minded to try new things. So that's going to be something that I include in my review of her. I think that when we started looking for a clinic, we didn't really have many options as far as, you know, because in Charleston, I think there's like two main fertility clinics. And, And the clinic that we chose had the best success rates. That's what we were going by. Well, and a lot of times it uh, people go online and make just the negative reviews. Exactly. Positive as well. You're so. so right. You're so right. I think a lot of people in general, like with any kind of customer service or, right. you know, when you use a company or, you know, you go to a restaurant and your order's wrong, which is me all the time. <laughs> and you're, you're inclined to get fired up and, and write a really terrible Yelp review. I mean, I understand that, and you're so right. We do need the good reviews and the honest reviews. So please go on fertilityiq.com and review your fertility doctor. Remember to include my name because they'll make a donation to us, which is so nice of them to do, Um, and it supports our IVF funds. So this will be going from today, February 27th, through March 4th. So you have a pretty good amount of time to get in there, get your reviews done. Thank you so much for doing that. And please share with your friends. Share far and wide. Share on social media if you'd like to. And (laughs) make sure you mention my name. And that will be such a nice little contribution to our IVF funds. So, yeah. So today we wanted to talk about endometriosis. Um, I'm new to the endometriosis game. So I'm starting to learn more. I would say, but we kind of did some preliminary research. Um, We used speakendo.com to get most of our information that we're going to talk about today as far as what it is and what are the symptoms. So, Lena, why don't you just tell us basically what endometriosis is? Well, um, it's caused when the endometrial tissue... um, it grows on the outside of the uterus instead of right. the inside. Um, it causes lesions and adhesions, and the it, the adhesive <laughs> the adhesions um, act as like they're sticky. So your uterus sticks to other organs in your body. So yeah. it causes a lot of pain. Um, it grows on your ovaries and causes cysts on your ovaries. It affects one in ten women. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a major cause of infertility, so nobody really knows exactly what causes it. I can't believe that. Like after all this time, isn't that crazy? I know, and more and more women are speaking out about it. Yeah, um, and that's the thing. Back in the day, I guess women didn't really want to talk about their issues, and right. so that's what's taken us so long to get here, I think. Yeah. Do you think it was more of like a sign of complaining, or do you think we just didn't really know? Well, that's one point that I've was um, that i made, is that women, um, they just wanted to be strong and you know, they didn't want to complain and they just wanted to get through the day and do their duties. (laughs) 
And we have a lot of duties as women. I mean, you think about our Grammy and she had five kids and our granddaddy was in the military and she went to the grocery store with them. She came home and did her housework with them. And what was she going to do? I mean, she didn't have any, you know, other than maybe some help on the base every once in a while. But, you know, you don't just lay in bed and complain about, oh, my period's heavy. Right. And because back in the day, I mean, women were hard workers. I mean, people think that men were the the ones who go out in the fields and um, do the hard work, but women helped as well. So 100%. They, they couldn't just lay in bed and salt all day. But yeah, absolutely. But um, yeah, there's, we don't know what prevents it and how we actually get it, but some scientists think that it's caused by the tissue leaving the uterus in the wrong direction. Um, That's during scary. The period. <laughs> God. I never realized that the fallopian tubes could go another way. Or you know what I mean? Like it could right. flow out the fallopian tubes the wrong way. That's yeah. terrifying. The body is just a very difficult, <laughs> I guess so, yeah. weird thing. Yeah, and I often wonder, because of, you know, my ectopic pregnancy, I wonder, you know, they couldn't find the pregnancy, so where did it go? Where did it go? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, where was it? Um, was it in my tube? I mean, they they thought my ovary was pretty large. I mean, it was really large. Um, so I wonder... It's very, very, very rare. I think it's like less than a percent that a pregnancy could end up in the ovary. But it's weird to think that it could have flowed out that way. Right. It's so weird. Also, endometriosis can spread easily. Because when your body is releasing that estrogen to thicken your lining to prepare for a pregnancy, it's also feeding the endometriosis. So not only is your lining growing, but the endometriosis that's on the outside of the uterus is also being fed by that estrogen, which is freaky. They also think that a lot of the pain comes from later in the menstrual cycle when those endometrial lesions on the outside of your uterus aren't being fed anymore. They can break down. And that can cause inflammation and pain. So some of those lesions um, can even grow their own nerves, which to me sounds like aliens. (laughs) That just sounds like, how do they even grow their own nerves? That is creepy. Mm -hmm. Um, So that can be extremely painful. So if those lesions are breaking down over time, they can also cause scar tissue on the organs that they're sticking to. Um, so they can stick, like she said, to the uterus, the tubes, the ovaries, even other organs nearby. And that's that's so frustrating to me because when I was going through IVF and we were trying to get to a transfer and I was on estrogen trying to thicken my lining, I have a really crappy lining, which... Makes sense now. It makes perfect sense now and also the surgeon told me in my pre-op appointment that a thin uterine lining is a great indication of endometriosis so this had this has been going on for years now I mean I've had so many canceled cycles trying to get to transfer because my my lining wouldn't thicken up so why didn't they say anything at what point does a doctor say, let's check this out? Yeah, at what point? I mean, after five failed frozen embryo transfers, I said, stop. I said, let's just stop this. So when were they going to say that? Were they ever? I don't know. Yeah. That's what's so frustrating. So what would you say the main symptoms are of endometriosis? Um, well, the main symptoms for me was the painful periods, um, long-lasting periods, the pain during intercourse. Mm-hmm. Those were the main ones. Yeah. The nausea as well. 
Um, which brings me to a point that your symptoms with your nausea and your migraines that you've had. Yes. I kick myself in the rear because I didn't look out for you and seeing the symptoms that you were having, I could have pointed that out to you. And, um, but I didn't, I didn't put two and two together with the thing, with the treatment that you've had, um, and the surgeries that you've had to like remove your, um, fibroids and stuff. I Mm -hmm. feel like the endometriosis should have been caught, but yeah. And that's actually another indication of endometriosis is polyps, right? um, uterine polyps. Cause I had tons. I mean, they, I had so many, he had actually, actually had to scrape them off the sides he couldn't usually they clip them off with scissors oh, wow. and um, I had so many that he had to basically do a DNC and scrape the sides of my uterus the inside and scrape it all out which was very severe in his words um, so why that wasn't you know I didn't know that I'm not a doctor what you know, I do I go online at home after having a polypectomy or whatever you call it um, and get online and say, okay, I had polyps. What is this associated with? I mean, I do research for a living, but I guess to me, I trust that a doctor would say, okay, we got the polyps and they're all gone. So that was your source of infertility. You know, you believe that. You don't think it goes anything, you know, it goes any further than that, I guess. Well, and here's another thing. There's so many different stages of endometriosis. And at that point, um, maybe the endometriosis was microscopic or not to the point that it was when you had your surgery, this last surgery, but just a forethought. Um, I, I wonder about that, too. Well, and I was talking to your mom the other day, actually, had all this medicine, all this, the hormones and stuff that you've been on could have aggravated the endometriosis and made it worse. Yes, I and agree. So, I don't know. The shoulda, coulda, woulda is just frustrating for me, but. Yeah. But yes, so the, the painful periods, there's also um, constipation, uh, digestive issues. Which I've had, um, by the way. I, yeah. I've always thought I've had like some type of IBS because I would eat something and then immediately be like, gotta go, <laughs> you oh, know? Yeah. And so that, that is a symptom that I never realized was a symptom. Exactly. I want to point out also the dark brown blood during periods. Um, a mm-hmm. lot of times it's either before or after the, the regular cycle, um, and uh, usually that comes from cysts that dissolve. And so those cysts are really? old blood. Wow. Yes. Didn't and know so that. so the dark brown is the old blood coming from the dissolved cysts. Interesting. Yes. And so that's a very big indicator, I feel like. Um, but I've heard a lot of women talk about with endometriosis, they're very tired. Um, and have fatigue and stuff like that. So just, I would say, watch out for all of those indicators. Yeah, you know, I have had fatigue a lot. Um, I know as a teenager, I would feel tired when I really shouldn't have felt tired. I don't know if, if it was because I was a teenager and I was growing and you know, I think teenagers need more sleep because your right. your brain is making um, more connections at that age, and um, you just have more energy, so you're expending more energy, so you need more energy. Yeah. But also, as an adult growing up, and even now, I'll get a full night's sleep, but I'm tired a lot. Yeah. And I've always thought that that was maybe a symptom of depression because I I am a little predisposed to depression and I do have um, symptoms of depression um, sometimes so I thought yeah. that that was just one of those things 
Well, and when I was younger, my friends um, would call me grandma because I wanted to go to sleep at eight, eight or nine at night, and they wanted to go hang out. And I'm like, I'm going to sleep. Catch you later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm certainly grandma now, for sure. I mean, I definitely identify with grandma status. It's it's so weird that you say, you know, the nausea and the migraines, it's so funny. It's not funny, actually. It's, well, it's just weird. Well, you suffered from that for so long. Yeah. I mean, and, and I didn't even realize, even now, that that could have been symptoms. Well, and I'll tell you, after my hysterectomy, which I'll talk about a little later, it was worse if I didn't eat if I was really hungry and I just didn't eat, but it was just all the time. After my hysterectomy, I have not had nausea. Really? Uh, yeah. I mean, it still happens every now and then, like I said, if I do not eat. Yeah. If I'm really hungry and I don't eat, but, I mean, that symptom, for the most part, is gone. Wow. Well, that's great. I have always been prone to nausea. Always. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I get car sick. But, you know, if I wake up too early in the morning, I feel nauseous. I get waves of nausea sometimes. It's definitely a thing. Like I Well, and I've wondered for you, since you've had the endometriosis removed, once you really start feeling better, if the nausea will be better for you. I wonder if oh, that'll I hope so. help. I'd like to know. That'd be amazing. <laughs> yeah. I would, I would love that to happen that would be great you know it's funny because once I had my surgery and I posted it on my Instagram and I hashtagged endometriosis I had so many new followers that had endometriosis like their whole account was dedicated to endometriosis and kind of what life is like dealing with the symptoms of endometriosis like this one girl like she posted a picture today of herself going for a walk and she was like finally felt good enough to go for a walk today and it's interesting isn't it like we need people documenting this because people just think it's oh you have a bad period like oh she missed work because she has her period right we're all women. We all have periods. Right. <laughs> but no, it's not just a period. Right. I've always like grumbled that I had painful periods, but I've never told anyone that I had painful periods because I just figured it was normal. That's, yeah, you figure, well, a period is supposed to be painful, but not, not that bad. If you look up the hashtag of endometriosis, it's amazing all of the women that do speak out about it yeah and and that have it (laughs) it's like one in ten women but there are billions of people on this planet so you're talking about millions of women have it yeah it's crazy that also brings me to say that I mean you feel this disease will make you feel alone and lonely it's Mm -hmm. a lonely disease you feel like it's just happening to you but if you go on social media and see that there's all these other women it makes you feel better about yourself honestly right yeah for sure I wish you would have had that back in the day you know we didn't have Instagram and Facebook came out when I was out of high school right so you didn't have that I didn't know to go look at all that even on Google like I just went by what my doctors told me right which is what you usually do When you have a doctor who's the expert. Do you know how endometriosis is treated usually? Well, I believe they first start out with birth control. Okay. Um, But the main um, diagnosis is by a laparoscopy Mm -hmm. and then the removal while they're in there. Um, Right. And then, like for me, the progesterone and hormones that I've been put on but a lot of times they just try to treat it with birth control and it's just not a cure. That's interesting. I was put on birth control when I was 16 and it wasn't for contraceptive purposes. I can tell you that much. It was for I had really bad skin 
and I had really painful periods. And so they slapped me on birth control, which is what they, it seems like they do. Right. I feel like that's their first way of treating. Yeah. Treating us. And my sister is 17, almost 18, and they wanted to put her on birth control too. And my mom was like, not, not for it. She actually was not for it when I was that age. But I think it's a little bit different having seen what I've gone through. Um, And prolonged birth control use is also associated with infertility. Um, Yeah, your mom and I have had a few long talks about what using birth control, using tampons, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. I feel like those are all associated with this disease. Yes. As far as treating endometriosis... I've seen recently there's a new commercial um, for a drug called Oralissa. I don't know much about it, and I didn't do any research on it. And actually, that's not the only one that I've seen recently, but they've come out with a couple different medications to treat the symptoms of endometriosis, which is interesting. Did they have anything like that when you were going through it? No, No, I've, I mean, I've only heard of this Oralissa through the commercials, Mm -hmm. um, but I've, I was never given the option. That sucks. So some red flags, and it's hard to say red flags too, because as we've discussed, a lot of the symptoms associated with endometriosis are also symptoms that migraines, uh, fatigue and nausea, you know, those could be, you could construe that they are present for other reasons. Right. You know, oh, well, I had a bad night's sleep. You could make excuses for yeah, the any. Weather. Right. The weather, the, um, you know, your age. You could mm-hmm. say, oh, well, I'm just not eating right. You know, there's there's a, a slew of, I guess, causes that you could probably attach to most of these symptoms, which may make you not really think that you have endometriosis. Or maybe it's not even on your radar, which it wasn't on mine. I mean, there were times when I did ask my doctor, you know, could I have endometriosis for crying out loud? Like, this is just, and no, no, you know, you don't have any symptoms and blah, blah, blah. So it wasn't on my radar. I was I was told by a couple different doctors, actually. Um And when we first started, yeah, when we first started trying, I remember having a conversation with you one time. And you were telling me about pain with sex. And I have never heard of that. And also, that's not something that you discuss, right? Right. Exactly. And that goes back to the women keeping things personal. Right. And I remember you telling me that and me thinking, oh my gosh, I have that. And I've never well, said I don't anything. Think you've ever told me that. Uh, Maybe I didn't tell you at the time, but I. I don't remember you saying that. I just wouldn't say anything about that because it's yeah. it's such a private matter. So um, I would say that that would be a red flag because that's that's not normal. Well, and that's why I say I kick myself in the rear because I know the symptoms. I knew the symptoms. And, I mean, yeah, I've told you before that you need to get checked for endometriosis, but I didn't push you to do it. I mean, even though we're all our own person and go our own journey, but I should have pushed you to to check that out because you don't realize the symptoms. But really, it, it was really the responsibility of my doctors. Oh, absolutely. Especially because I brought it up. More than one yeah. time. Hey, my cousin had it. Do you think I could have it? That's another red flag is family yeah. history. Our great, great aunt. So our grandmother's aunt. Aunt Katie. Aunt Katie. She tried to have children and she struggled and never could have children. But back in that day, you know, it was just like, oh, well, she just can't have children. There wasn't any option, I don't think, back then. There, yeah. I don't even think Clomid was an option back then. Um, maybe she had endometriosis. We don't really know much about that. Um, our Grammy, our grandmother, she had a miscarriage, but then she went on to have five children. So my mom, Lena's mom, both of our mothers, mine and Lena's mothers, each had three children. Lena's sister has two kids. So it seemed like maybe she missed that gene. (laughs) Um, and she could probably have more if she wanted. 
<laughs> um, considering her two children are the the um, product of not trying. Um, so I think maybe those genes came for us, which sucks. Um, it sucks, but it makes us special. (laughs) We are special. It chose us for a reason. Maybe it chose us because we are strong enough to handle it. I don't know. I agree with that. Um, and also I, I've always known that I've gone through this because, I was meant to help people through it, but I'm not the one to put myself out there Mm -hmm. and build this platform, but here you are building this platform and, you know, we're both getting to talk about it. Yeah. I appreciate the website, the infertility.com, all the different forums where people can go and relate to others. When when I was going through my hysterectomy, um, I did find this website called Hister Sisters. (laughs) (laughs) I love that name. I do too. Um, And I still get emails from them um, just so that I can stay connected with these people. But Hester Sisters really helped me through my time. So I think Candace's website is a lot like that, where you can have forums to um, relate to other people. And that's what makes me really happy because you are way more reserved than I am. And I have been private for a lot of this infertility life that I've lived. But at some point, it's like I craved information. Where are the people out there that are like me? It it was hard to find. It's still hard to find people out there like me because a lot of people on my that I follow on Instagram, I mean, they do one round of IVF and they get pregnant on their first transfer or their second and they're off, you know, into motherhood. And I'm so happy for them because nobody should have to sit around doing IVF as a career like I've had to do. I just hope that people You know, even the most severe people who are sitting there still waiting after all this time really know that they're not alone because you're not. (laughs) Like, I'm still sitting here twiddling my thumbs. Your story is so important, and I think there's a lot of people out there um, that could identify with it. So why don't you tell us about it? Alrighty. So I suspected around age 19 that something just wasn't right. I've had ovarian cysts since I was 13, um, along with bad periods. My periods always came same time of the month, but they were about two weeks long. So I just knew At 19, something registered that just something was wrong. When you say you've had ovarian cysts since the age of 13, how did you know you had cysts? I had gone to the doctor for the pelvic pain. Okay. Um, They they did an ultrasound, and that's where they saw the cysts. Oh. Um, And so I knew that that's when it started. They just told me, oh, it'll dissolve. Uh, They'll go away. You'll be fine. And I've seen a lot of people post about that that that's what their doctors say oh it's just a cyst it'll go away and actually one time when I was about 16 I had gone to the my family doctor by myself my mom couldn't go with me so I go in I see this PA and I tell him I was going in for my pelvic pain I told him I have ovarian cysts that come and go apparently and he's like how do you know that Like, just totally, (laughs) you're a dumb girl, how do you know? (laughs) But that's how a lot of our doctors treat their patients. They're like, no, you don't know what you're talking about. So then it gets to the point to where it's not treated. But um, so finally, well, I get married when I was 22. We tried to get pregnant soon after. We never used protection. Um, I mean, I had been on birth control for a little bit, maybe a year. But after that, no protection, and we just did not have any success getting pregnant. Um, So about age 25 is really when I started being proactive, you know, from age 13 and then finally being diagnosed at 25. That's a long time. (laughs) Yeah. But so at 25, I had my first laparoscopy. Um, The doctor said, she got everything, just go keep trying naturally to get pregnant. Two years later, I'm seeing um, a reproductive endocrinologist. He was amazing, totally positive, made me feel good about the whole process. Um, 
but he soon realized that I didn't produce eggs at all. Um, I had 0% chance at producing my own baby. Wow. I don't think I ever knew that. Yeah. So, I mean, at that point, my mom was going to all my appointments with me. Here I am, this 25-year-old married woman. (laughs) And I'm like, I felt like a child because... Like, I just didn't know where to go. So I really relied on my mom as she soaked in all the information. Yeah, she's got a very vast medical knowledge. She was probably a good person to have around. Yes, and she did try to push me to do more fertility um, treatments, but I refused just because I didn't want to spend the money and I didn't want to put my body through that. I didn't want to put my um, emotions through that. Yeah. Um, But then once this doctor said I had 0% chance, I'm like, okay, well, then what do we do now? He says, well, let me send you to this endometriosis guru because we knew I already had this endometriosis. He says, "Um, Dr. Johns, he's a guru at this. Um, Go see him. So it's funny because you talk about this ultrasound that you had with this new doctor and how you could see everything on the picture. Yes. And... Dr. Johns had that and so he was able to see a lot more of what was going on yeah and so he's like okay we're getting you in for another laparoscopy he could see on that ultrasound that I had a like grapefruit sized tumor so he's like okay we're going in for surgery yeah he gets into surgery and immediately realizes that he can't help me um he removed the what endometriosis that he could but he didn't touch the tumor Mm -hmm. um, because it was a little more than what he could, he felt that it was a little more out of his um, realm. Um, So at that point I was diagnosed with stage four endometriosis Mm -hmm. and I was sent to a gynecological oncologist um, to make sure that the tumor wasn't cancer and Two weeks later, I'm having a full, complete hysterectomy, ovaries and all. So I had endometriosis all over my appendix. My colon was stuck to my uterus. It was twisted around, which is why I had the constipation. Yeah, just a lot going on in there. And so at age 27 is when I had my hysterectomy. It was a month before I turned 28. Hmm. And actually, on February 9th was my seven-year anniversary of my hysterectomy. Wow. Well, happy anniversary. Thanks. (laughs) And just to be clear to the people listening, you were never able to have children. Never able to have kids. Which is the ultimate travesty of all of this. You think growing up you're going to get married, you're going to buy that house, and then you're going to have your family. And you're set on this for, you know, that's the way you think life is supposed to be. Well, most people, I feel like, think that. Yeah. But then when you go through this, you just have to, like, you know, I had to come up with a whole new purpose in life, which is to be the best aunt possible. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I've got number 22 um, niece or nephew on their way. What? Yes. 22? 22, yes. On my side, I've got four nieces and nephews um, and number five on the way. And then Chris, my husband, he has all the others. Lord <laughs> so Almighty. Has, yeah, his side of the family, seven. they're sitting on toilet seats and getting pregnant well, over I'm there. Well, I'm telling you, he's got seven half-brothers and sisters. So, I mean, they all have about two or three each. Yeah. So, that's my goal in life is to be the best aunt yeah what 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 do you do at christmas time i mean do you get them all christmas gifts it's hard so this last two years i've decided i'm just going to get a gift card for the family that's a good idea 25 or 30 dollars each to send them to the zoo or um to go do something fun you're you're so sweet so what over the years has helped you manage the symptoms that you had? What was there anything that helped? Okay, so I'm a person that I don't like taking medicine. Yeah. I don't 
I don't either. I just don't like you, your body gets immune to it. I don't want to damage my liver. You know, right. I don't. I don't like taking the medicine. But Advil liquid gels were the best pain reliever. Really? Yes. Interesting. Which is not good on your liver, but right. a heating pad always essential. I lived in hot baths. Yes. As soon as my period would start, if I was at work, I'm like, guys, I got to go home. And I would just get in a bath. Yeah. Um, I would lay in there as long as I could. And as Mm -hmm. soon as I got out of the bath, I would start hurting again. But those hot baths, when I laid in there, was amazing. I feel like that's the only time I've ever had relief. When I am in that much pain and I get in a a tub, that's the only time that I have the relief. So you just want to stay in. You know what they should do is make a, like a kind of a heating pad slash a water belt or something and it could be like a heated water belt that you wear well let's patent that Ooh, yeah everybody listening just forget that you heard that (laughs) or you can do the dirty work (laughs) get it but give us credit for something well you know because like when you're in the water your body seems lighter yeah I i feel like that's what the hot bath like it just kind of held my body for me yeah but staying active I know when you're in pain you don't want to do anything you just want to lay down and scrunch up in a ball but I would make myself go on walks or even a light jog and releasing that energy out of my body Mm -hmm. really helped but also laying down elevating your pelvis and putting your legs up against the wall is a reliever as well Interesting. Didn't know that yeah. one. You are right about just at least going for a walk. I mean, there's so many good effects with just staying active in itself. It helps anxiety and mm-hmm. depression and just releases all those toxins and endorphins. And I am a real advocate on staying active. Yeah. You're you're so good at be- being active. I'm just... Lena and I, years ago when I lived in Texas, we lived very close to each other and we did a boot camp together. (laughs) And it was, what did it start at 6 a.m. or something? Something like that. Oh, it was ridiculous a.m. o'clock. It was was so (laughs) early and it was the hardest thing that I've probably ever had to do is get up that early. You know what? You did it. I did did do it. it. You did it very well. Did I crap out one day? I, I seem to remember maybe not I, doing yeah, it every I day. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> you just got to pick yourself back up. I know. And but then, it's really mind over matter. Yeah. Get yourself up and go. You'd be a great life coach. It's funny that you say that. Chris, my husband, he tells me that all the time. You like would you. be a great life coach. Like, honestly. You're s- such a positive person. You're always positive like you don't ever say a bad thing about anybody she's a lot like our Grammy who is the most pure human being on the face of this earth she really is and you know that's one thing that I that keeps me positive is my Grammy because I want to be like her well you're very much like her I've always thought I was like her because I'm crafty and I like do sewing and I was always into hair, and, you know, my Grammy is, she's a jack-of-all-trades, pretty much. She's amazing, but really, you're like her, because you have just that amazing heart and spirit and positivity, and... I mean, there are days where I just want to be blah and mad, and (laughs) but to me, it's better just to be positive. Do you allow yourself to... To have moments of frustration and anger and, you know, throwing a fit. I do, yeah. Well, good. I do. I just try to keep it private because, you know, i got to keep a good rep. Yeah, on the the streets. (laughs) But, yes, I do. I think it's important to let yourself do that. But then you just got to snap back. Like, when I I was going through the hysterectomy and all of that, I, I was depressed for probably about a year. Yeah. Um, I, I try to keep myself positive, but I finally, after about a year of being grumpy, 
uh, with the help of my husband and uh, my friend Shelly and my family, they all helped me just kind of snap out of it. Um, but you do, you have to tell yourself to just get over it sometimes. Yeah. What's What's happened to you is not right. I've thought several times, I wish that I got to Dr. John's, the endometriosis guru, yeah, <laughs> and, uh, a lot sooner than I did. Like, why couldn't I have found him first? Right. And I've, I've seen a lot of women say that they've, by their third or fourth doctor is when they finally got the help they need. Yeah. And that's why these reviews and websites are so helpful for other women to to hopefully get to that guru the first time. Yeah. Do you think there's um cuz I know with Dr. Braverman, the doctor in New York that I'm seeing now, um the reproductive endocrinologist, um he helps women who have had recurrent pregnancy loss. So, I wonder if there's a a certain point you have to get to, a certain severity that you have to get to to get to these amazing doctors what do you think i don't know that's a good question i mean Um, it's as far as dr johns i mean he's a gynecologist he's not a a reproductive endocrinologist okay so you could have definitely had access to him probably sooner if someone would have pointed you in that direction exactly Mm. Mm mm-mm-mm If you are listening to this and you can identify with some of these symptoms and you've always thought that they may be related to other things, please tell your doctor. Yes. If you feel like your doctor is not listening to you, um, always get a second opinion or a third opinion. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Well, thank you... Thank you, thank you, thank you for talking to us because everyone's story is going to be different and it's important to hear from so many people about their experiences because it kind of helps you know you're not alone. I really hope that my story and and Elena's story help you to make these types of um, decisions for yourself. Um, especially when you're trying to have a baby. Well, thank you for having me. Yes, thank you so much. Wow, that's really tough to hear. Uh, yeah. I had no idea that she went through all of that, and I think you can tell the difference in both of your journeys. Uh, yours is such a short-term thing with endo that we knew about it, whereas she knew about it for a long time. So really interesting to hear. It is, and you know, a lot of the stuff she talked about I think I didn't even know about because she was so private when she was going through all of that. Thank you guys for sticking in with us. I know it was a longer episode than normal. I hope Elena's story helps somebody that's going through this. Next time on the Infertility Podcast. Unexplained infertility. A frustrating diagnosis that's not really a diagnosis at all. Thanks for listening. I'm Daniel. And I'm Candace. Good night.